Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. <laughs> and I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, The Rutted Road by H.P. Lovecraft. This is a kind of a follow-up to our last podcast on Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. This is published the next year, um, very, very early the next year. Um, but it, it has a different tone and a different feeling, and yet I think they are connected. Well, that's a pretty strong assertion. Um, and I think it'll be great to have you take us through that. Would you like me to read the poem so sure, we've all sure. got it in mind? Yeah, I, I should point out it's in the um, we, we got it from the book called The Ancient Track, which is a collection of uh, the complete poetical works of H.P. Lovecraft. But uh, the original publication was the Tryout magazine, which is a amateur journal. Um, January 1917, so maybe that actually was even 1916. It might have been written immediately in reply to Robert Frost's poem. I'm not sure. but well, it could be coincidence. It absolutely could be coincidence, although I think there might be some real parallels. Let's, let's hear the poem and then see what we see. Great. The Rutted Road. Bleak autumn mists send down their chilly load. A raven shivers as he flutters by through lonely pasture winds, the rutted road where bordering elms loom bare against the sky. Those deep sunk tracks which dumbly point ahead or traveled sands that stretch to vision's rim wake hidden thoughts, a longing half a dread till fancy pauses at the prospect dim. Descending shadows bid me haste along, the ancient ruts so many knew before, a cricket mocks me, with his mirthless song I fear the path, I fain would see no more. Yet here, with ox-drawn cart, each thoughtless swain his course pursued, nor left the common way, can I, superior to the rustic train, on brighter by-roads find the dawning day? With questing look I scan the darkening moor. Perchance o'er yonder mound all blessings wait, but still the rutted road's resistless lure constrains my progress to the path of fate. So must I grope between the brooding trees, where those before me found the mystic night. I travel onward past the withered lees, but what beyond the bend awaits my sight? Do fairer lands than this invite my feet? Will fate on me her choicest boons bestow? What lies ahead my weary soul to greet? Why is it that I do not wish to know? Okay. That is not how I imagined it being read. <laughs> I don't know... I heard uh, there's not a lot of people who talked about this poem. There's one YouTube narration of it, and he did it in a whisper, which I don't think is is the right way to read it either. I don't I don't know what the right way to read it is, but there's some sort of is this a fatalistic poem? Because that's what I'm thinking. It's it's like he knows this path, this rutted road, 
And I think it's important that that's right even in the title, those ruts, the worn path, the path that everyone goes down. And I feel like he's this is a suicide poem in a certain sense. I think it's a poem. Uh, let me say one thing about the way I read it. Just mm-hmm. a brief note. Um, the third line through lonely pasture winds the rutted road the grammar supports reading it that way it also supports reading it as through lonely pasture winds the rutted mm. road mm. and i i couldn't give both no yeah you can't give both statements at the same time but for, you know i just it's worth knowing that one could think of this as more regular that you know the mists send the raven shutters the mm-hmm. the uh the road uh winds um but it also could be this other way because you don't have to have a verb everywhere since we don't have full sentences mm-hmm. at some points. Um, I think that uh, I can see a whisper. I, I wouldn't do a whisper, uh, but I do believe that the speaker, as I understand it, is um, necrophiliac but ambivalent about his, um, no, I shouldn't say that. I should say thanatophiliac. Mm. Necrophiliac has has uh, sexual implications. Right. He, uh, he's thanatophiliac. He he's attracted to love to to death, mm-hmm. the way many of Poe's characters are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but but of course, death is is death is death. You know. So the that's captured for me in that phrase. Uh, his hidden thoughts, the, the, this vision that he has, thinking about the road ahead of him, um, it wakes hidden thoughts, mm-hmm. a longing, half a dread. That is, the longing is half a dread. So it's partially a desire, partially it's a fear. So this is ambivalence, which is deep within him, but this image brings it forth. So whatever it is, it brings it forth. And I think that notion that things exist in more than one way uh, actually makes this a very rich poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, bleak autumn mists send down their chilly load. Like so many romantic poets, he is uh, personifying, you know, the, the mists have their chilly load. I mean, you know, they're not holding something on their shoulders. Um, a raven shivers as he flutters by. Now, when I say shiver, um, I mean that kind of jerky feeling that goes through your body, you know, and your parts of you just kind of move really fast and in tiny, tiny little motions, mm-hmm. uh, but they go really fast. That's shivering. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't see a raven shiver. No. Nope. So therefore I have to ask, what does this line mean? And what it means is he goes, caw, caw. the raven, instead of having a strong has this kind of choked call that he utters as he flies by. You know, I wouldn't use the word flutter for the way birds go unless they were, in fact, injured and on their way to die. Uh, The raven shivers as he flutters by. I can see why your interest in Poe's The Raven Mm. fit beautifully with how this poem starts. So many things here, it seems to me, have ambivalence. For example, the rutted road's resistless lure. Mm -hmm. I looked up resistless. It's one of those wonderful Janus words. Mm -hmm. Resistless either means 
it has no resistance, all right, or it is irresistible. Mm-hmm. It's the exact opposite. And, and we don't know which it is. We don't know which it is. So when he says, why is it that I do not wish to know? I'm not sure he's actually asking that. It's just a way for him to stop talking because he's got to disengage from this inevitable journey down the sandy paths. You know, this rutted road reveals sand. It's not like dirt or clay. I can I can picture the actual cart carriageway and and under it. It's what the sands of time. It's Ozymandias. It's 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 a land of infertility. Um, I don't use Ozymandias lightly when he talks about the ox-drawn cart and the rustic train mm-hmm. um, and the swain. I'm thinking this is owed on a Grecian urn, mm. right? And, you know, we know in that poem that the, the speaker realizes that you're never going to go anywhere because you are stuck in the art. But back in the town, it's been emptied. And all we have is the urn. These people are long gone and dead. This this is a poem of by a poet that rests on and builds from poetry that has to do with the futility of seeing life as something that we can pursue joyfully. And I think that's why his soul is weary at the end. What lies ahead, my weary soul to greet? He doesn't have any faith that it's going to be fairer lands or choice boons, but he doesn't want to acknowledge that it's just death. So that is the answer that he is unwilling to give to why is it that I do not wish to know? At least that's a reading. And if if it makes sense, you can see why I used a sort of portentous tone. Oh, I, oh, oh, yes. Now I'm getting it. Okay. So uh, your reps, I, I agree with everything you just said. It was amazing. Um, uh, the thing that you can't hear, it, obviously we can't read wa- winds and winds uh, in the same reading. You have to see it on the page and then think about different ways you could read it. Um, but there, one thing that a, a listener can't hear is the capitalizations. Um, this is something I like to do in my own poetry, which is pretty bad, but I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, is to not randomly capitalize things, but capitalize things and turning them into gods in a certain sense. The first time this happens in the poem is in line three. Through lonely pasture winds the rutted road. This is not the name of the street, I don't think. I don't <laughs> think you would name the street that. But for him, it is. It is the path, right? It is the way that all the people follow. And I will remind you that back in uh, 2016, we had a show on uh, another poem by H.P. Lovecraft that's very similar called The Ancient Track. That's the, the name of the volume that we took this poem from, but it's also a poem into itself, which is uh, about a guy following an ancient path. And we have that here as well. Um, next capitalization uh, is in the next stanza those deep sunk tracks which dumbly point ahead or or traveled sands that stretch to vision's rim and vision is capitalized wake hidden thoughts a longing half a dread 
till capitalized fancy pauses at the prospect dim so vision and fancy are almost exactly the same thing both of them are capitalized this is decision time right this is what uh, what road will this uh, what what place what destination will this road take me to this rutted road the path that so many have gone before he next uses the capitalization in the third to last stanza again rutted road reading but still the rutted road resistless lure and a lure is for a trap right constrains my progress to the path of fate and path and fate are capitalized um that's a funny way of saying i'm going to town i'm gonna go meet my fate so to me that makes it seems like it's it's a very uh pretentious anyways um leading to something and then finally in this last stanza do fairer lands than this invite my feet uh, this i think is very interesting in the context of the road not taken the poem we did last week which has a line uh it had the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear the road wants where uh, the path wants wear in that poem and here it, it it wants to invite his feet which is it's is kind of funny but it's also a way of saying pretty much the same thing do fairer lands than this invite my feet will fate capitalized on me her choicest boons bestow what lies ahead my weary soul to greet all these are all questions in the final stanza why is it that i do not wish to know one thing um i don't think um we talked about in the rotted road is uh is the burden of decision here i feel that very strongly um in my own life i try not to make decisions because i find i'm more subject to regret if i think i should make this choice then i make that choice and that choice turns out to be a negative right so i'm much more likely to defer decisions to others in certain circumstances or to not aim at decision making but rather let circumstances give me decisions and i obviously this is not a, a real phenomena that i can um explain in just a short amount of time but but what it allows me to do is not be, feel the burden of regret as much as i would if i made it a choice here i think that that is exactly the narrator's w- worry is that if he follows the rustic train that he will be just like everyone else and unlike that other poem the road not taken i think that this narrator has a uh a sp- <laughs> he's less self-conscious about what his future will be uh in in that in the other poem he says i shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence two roads diverged in 
a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. There's a kind of funny irony to that. Here, I think he's worried that if he takes that track, it, it will make him like everyone else. If he takes that rutted road, he will become like everyone else. And I think in the second to last stanza, he has actually made a decision to not follow the road. But I could be wrong about that. That I didn't see. Um, I, I thought that um, the reason that the rutted road is the title concept hmm. is that this is the way that people have gone. I don't even see this as a two-way street. Yeah, I think I think that that it it's setting us up to to say I don't want to. His only choice is when to go down this road, right? To follow this path, he hesitates to follow. Yes. And all the words he uses to describe this road dumbly point ahead, right? He's not in favor of going down this road. But if he does, he's going to have, he has a longing and a half dread that what is beyond the rim of his perception of, of this road's path is bad. It's a funny situation. Um, Lovecraft wanted to join the army and go off to fight in World War I. Um, in fact, he did join the army, um, not because he was super patriotic about America's prospect in the war, but because he he wanted to participate. He he became he sort of psyched himself up into becoming patriotic. At least that's my reading. And then his mom got him out of it. Her connections. Found, no. uh, made sure that a doctor uh, subsequent to his joining up nullified his joining. Um, he was he was kind of stuck. Now I wanna I wanna point to these last two stanzas and and just think like this doesn't sound like the road to me. I think that this is the darkening moor, the which I perceive as being not in the road. Let me just read uh, the last three stanzas here. With questing look, I scan the darkening moor. Perchance or yonder mound, all blessings wait. But still the rutted road's resistless lure constrains my progress to the path of fate. He has to go somewhere. But if he goes down the rutted road, it's the way of the common person. And then he says, so I grope, so I must grope between the brooding trees. Now, this could be the road's brooding trees, but I don't think so. Where those before me found mystic night. Now, that sounds like death to me. I travel onward past the withered leaves, but what beyond the bend awaits my sight? Do fairer lands than this invite my feet? Will fate on me her choicest boons bestow? What lies ahead, me, my weary soul to greet? Why is it that I do not wish to know? I, I don't know that there is a another path here. I just feel like there is one. And that he's chosen to not take a road at all. If it, I do understand, I think, how that attempt to convince oneself that one makes no choice 
um, might be tempting. Of course, if the concept of choice exists at all, it means that there are at least two different things one could do. And by not choosing one of them, one has in fact chosen another. Mm -hmm. It's it's impossible to not choose. Uh, For this to be a way out is ultimately self-defeating, which was perhaps part of why he doesn't wish to know, because he doesn't want to have to take responsibility Mm -hmm. for his fate. But he is on the path of fate, as he says, with capitalized letters. Mm -hmm. And this path of fate is the sandy ruts that that go down this road. the, the death imagery, the autumnal in- imagery, the, mm-hmm. the moving toward death is everywhere in this poem. Mm-hmm. The first line, autumn, bleak autumn mists, chilly load. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a raven that's only fluttering, not, not flying by. The pasture winds. So a pasture is a place where Domestic animals, you know, get fed, you know, put them out to pasture. That's Mm -hmm. that's sort of like uh, civilization, although it's a place where they get fattened up usually so they can be slaughtered. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the bordering elms, I mean, if you think of what elms look like, the the silhouette of elms, they reach up toward the sky, Mm -hmm. as opposed to maples that reach sideways or willows that reach down. Elms reach up. But in the autumn... They are leafless. They're these these futile fingers reaching to the sky. Then we get deep sunk tracks. They dumbly point ahead. They can't speak. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and what do we get? Sand, infertility, this half-longing dread, descending shadows. It's not just that they're dark. It's not just the shadows. The shadows are themselves descending, which I presume means that they're lengthening, which means the sun is setting. Yeah. Um, the ancient ruts, so we've got death behind us that knew so many before. Well, you know, who are the people who lived before? You know, they're the dead now, right? A cricket mocks me. Crickets are, as I'm sure uh, Lovecraft knew, uh, a sign of luck in the east. Mm -hmm. But his son is going toward the west, and the cricket mocks him with his mirthless song, or at least he sees the song as mirthless. I fear the path. I don't want, I fain would see no more. And then we, we keep going on and we get one less lo- living thing after another. Mm-hmm. Those pastures that could at least have fattened up an animal and given it some life until it's slaughtered are gone by the time we get to the third stanza that you just began uh, with. Here we get a darkening moor. Mm-hmm. Darkening moor. Um, and a, a moor is is sort of a swampland, a wasteland. It's heather. Um, it's, 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 it's not a place of civilization. It's just out there. I also think by the way, that the phrase, the darkening more is to my mind. And again, I may be projecting. It reminds me of that, uh, the Matthew Arnold poem Dover beach in which he talks about the darkling plain where all hope and religion and so on are disappearing. The darkening moor and the darkling plain resonate in my mind, but I'm not arguing that Lovecraft had it in his mind, despite the fame of that, that particular poem. But we go from a pasture to a moor and then to a withered lee. Now, a lee is some kind of a meadow, mm-hmm. but it can be a natural meadow rather than a pasture, sort of like an alpine meadow. But this is one where all the life is gone. It's all withered. 
So the very vegetable world that our speaker passes through gives him one vision after another of moving either from thinking you can eat till you get slaughtered or realizing that everything around you is just moving toward death Mm -hmm. from the raven to the landscape. And my God, why would you want to know that? There's the the word mound. Um, I realize now why I think uh, my interpretation is the interpretation I have. The the word mound, he says, um, or is it in line uh, stanza uh, four? I think uh, fourth from the end. It's, it's no, it's in the third from the end. Third from the end. Okay. Yeah, it's line line nine line nineteen, I think eighteen. So, so must I, uh, sorry, uh, with questing look, I scan the darkening moor perchance or yonder mound, all blessings wait. There's a, a story written uh, or published uh, in 22, but written in 17, uh, 1917 by Poe. That's one of my favorites of his. It's called The Tomb. And it's by about, Poe? Uh, Did you say uh, <laughs> uh, It's by, not by Poe, although it's very Poe-like. <laughs> It's called The Tomb, and it's by Lovecraft, written in 17, published in 22. And it's about a, a young man who um, is very thanatophilic, and he goes to uh, the woods behind his home and finds a tomb and, and wants to go inside of it. A, a, a mound is not necessarily a tomb, but many places in the world, mounds are tombs. They're buried kings, buried chieftains. Um, Indeed, there's a national monument in the United States called Burial Mounds National Monument. I have visited it. It's quite impressive. And I I should say that when I read the word mound here, the very first time I read the poem, I presumed because of the the death references throughout, he meant a burial mound. And when he says perhaps perchance or yonder mound, you know, going over it, all blessings wait, that presages do fairer lands than yeah. this and my feet. You know, but of course, there's always a question. He has no certainty that he'll get anything out of death that's better than a life awaiting death. That's right. Uh, and, the, and thinking of why these words are capitalized, you know, fancy and vision um, and fate, the path of fate. Of course, the destination of all of us is the same destination, but the path, how we get there and the, the time it takes is different. Right? So if he goes down the the rutted road, the road commonly taken, he is not breaking with any tradition at all. He has not made a distinguishment from the rest of humanity. He says, can I, superior to the rustic train, on brighter by-roads and find the dawning day, can I go a different path? I, I think that's the, the transition there that I think he's like, I don't think following the roads for me, um, when Lovecraft was young, he he had a lot of thoughts of suicide and he even made plans like what is the best way to kill himself and he concluded at one point that he should drown himself in the river um, because that was a lot cleaner and neater um but the reason he didn't kill himself um he says is because he found um there was too much interesting science to learn (laughs) 
Um, now, what's funny is this poem is not about science at all. It's about the beauty of, of nature and um, the beauty of poetry. Um, but it is uh, almost anti-science. It's very romantic, right? In the way that the language is, is referencing so, all the romantic poets. It, it is a romantic poem in every sense, I think. Um, and Agreed. Agreed. It's an expression of the ego. Yeah. So, <laughs> poetry is <laughs> for brooding, brooding, but um, science is for um, uh, fancy and imagination, perhaps. I'm not sure. I don't think we can read that into this, but I do. I I find it. I find it very moving. This poem. I do as well. I I think that if there is a hope in it since it, it, it so often asks questions rather than gives answers. Um, on brighter byroads, can I find the dawning day? Am I really superior to the rustic chain, mm -hmm. train? Um, what is beyond? What awaits my sight? You know, um, These are all questions, including why is it that I do not wish to know, which is italicized. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest that the reason he doesn't wish to know is, or I should say, a way to read this is to say that one reason he might not wish to know is that if he understood exactly why he sees things as he does, that is, the implacability of mortality, the rutted road, the worn away constraint that brings us to all the same destination, as you say, if he really understood that, then he would not be able to think about it mm. and shape those thoughts. The glimmer of hope that this offers us is that the contemplation of the implacability of mortality can move us to poetry. And this brings us right back to that notion that poetry is heightened emotion recollected in tranquility. Mm. I don't mean that the speaker here is tranquil, but he is able to step back from seeing the pasture, the moor, the lee, and ask himself, what have I seen here? So he becomes a poet. That's the one thing that he can do that might actually have a chance at making him superior to the rustic train, mm -hmm. which, by the way, falls exactly in the middle of the poem. It's beautiful. Yet, of course, <laughs> there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.